0: Hello and welcome to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This episode is brought to you in part by Independent Pharmacy Alliance. IPA is a trade association and buying group representing 3,700 plus independent pharmacies, leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA now offers a comprehensive third party help desk. Legislative advocacy and continuing education, free of charge to members. Learn more today at ipagroup.org. In this edition of the IPA podcast, we're going to be talking about this new CBS news article, and it's got an interesting title: "Is Biden's limit on drug middlemen backfiring?" Interesting title, and we're going to be talking about it with our producer Zach Stone. Hey, Zach, how you doing?
1: Doing great. Let's just get into it. Is
0: it? Well, that's the million dollar question. And I think the answer is kind of complicated. It will at first, but then in the long run, it should help. So, what's the new rule going to do? January 1st, 2024, it goes into effect. It was designed to lower prescription drug prices for senior citizens who are in the Medicare Part D program, but it was also designed to give pharmacies some sort of ability to know what their real reimbursement rate is. So it's supposed to have a dual effect, a positive dual effect. One, lower drug costs for seniors. And two, give pharmacies some sort of certainty in terms of what they're actually getting paid. But the downside of this new rule is that for the first six months, Pharmacies are going to have deal with some lower reimbursement rates and they're going to deal with some difficult fees. They're going to eat into their bottom line. In the long run, the hope is, is that this new rule will create some sort of certainty for pharmacies in terms of how much they get paid.
1: Wait, okay. So first things first, the second you say fees, I know I just heard everyone's ears perk up. So what kind of fees are we talking about here?
0: Sure. So pharmacies get charged all sorts of wonderful fees by these huge insurance companies and pharmacy benefit managers in order to do business. One type of fee that they get charged, and this is a mouthful, Zach, DURF fees, direct and indirect remuneration fees. I'm not even going to go into what that actually means, that name, but bottom line, what that fee is is that pharmacies get charged these huge fees over the last decade, somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 billion worth of fees in Medicare Part D. They get charged these particular fees by these insurance companies just for doing business. And the way they're charged is after they do the job, they dispense a drug to the senior citizen, the beneficiary in Part D, the PBM and the insurance company comes back and says two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a month, two, three months later. Hey, by the way, we know we paid you this amount for this drug that you dispensed three, four months ago. But you know what? Now we're going to claw back this amount in terms of what's called a DERF So they could literally come back months later and take back the entire amount that they paid the pharmacy for the service that they provided.
1: Now, dur fees is something we've talked about before in the past, and you had said in previous podcasts that we were on a good trajectory, that come January 1st, there were some new dur fees coming up. Now, are these fees that pharmacists are paying right now, are they going to be infected? increased? Is this going to get better? What's happening? Because there's been a lot of January 1st talk.
0: Right, right. So January 1st happens. What will happen with these fees is that currently they're all collected retroactively. After the pharmacy gets paid, the insurance company and the PBM comes in and they retroactively take whatever they want to take pretty much. Now, what's supposed to happen, this is where the certainty comes in. They have to apply all these fees at the point of sale. So starting January 1st, 2024, every fee that's collected from a pharmacy has to be reported at the point of sale. So that way the pharmacy will know exactly what their final reimbursement rate is going to be for dispensing of drug. So if the final reimbursement rate is $100 minus the fee, then they'll know it right away. It's not going to happen two, three, four months later because they'll see it in real time to say, uh-huh, this is what I'm going to get paid, and this is how much the PBM is going to charge me in terms of this der fee. So, that is a good thing. The bad thing is that the PBMs will still be allowed to collect retroactive der fees for 2023. So for all 2023 drugs that were dispensed in the Medicare Part D program, they can still come back retroactively going into 2024 and extract those after the pharmacy dispensed the drug. That should hopefully only last about six months or so. But PBMs, they're large companies. They have shareholders they have to answer to. The PBM is not going to eat that cost. They're not going to eat that loss in revenue. So what they've done is they've lowered the reimbursement rate on the pharmacy to make up that loss.
1: So then what can the independent pharmacy do? I mean, they basically have to deal with PBMs, right? There's no getting around that. So what can independent pharmacies do about that?
0: At this point right now, what I would advise every independent pharmacy to do is call your pharmacy services administrative organization that's a mouthful uh, for short they're called psaos psaos are the entities that manage the pbm contracts with the pharmacy ask them if they have anything in place that might assist them with one paying these retroactive derfies and two what are the reimbursement rates going to be going into 2024 so they can start planning now in terms of how they're going to deal with this. There aren't a lot of good answers on this, but the one thing is, is that right now there are bills, they're moving through Congress, a package of bills that are going to attempt to set up fair contracts for pharmacy. So hopefully when these bills move through, they're going to set up a fair floor for pharmacies to be paid at. Which will hopefully correct this situation where you have PBMs now coming in and drastically reducing pharmacy reimbursement rates by 10%. So,
1: now, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said all this before, right? This was supposed to happen January 1st. Like I've heard, oh, this law that passed, that this, that, 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 that. January 1st, this was supposed to happen. Why are we going back to it? I thought that January 1st, that this bill, was the one that was already supposed to set us up?
0: Well, unfortunately, government moves very slowly, and they usually don't do anything to fix things until the proverbial crap hits the fan. So at this point, we're approaching January 1st. Everybody knew there was a problem. And this is usually when Congress and government starts to act. And sometimes they act after it's already hit the fan. This package has been moving through in Congress for at least the last year or so. But now, at the last minute, it's really getting a lot of movement within Congress to pass it before the rule goes into effect so that pharmacies don't get these drastic cuts. There's a good chance that it's going to pass. There's bipartisan support. Everybody is in favor of it because it's not just about pharmacy. It's also about reducing drug costs for people in general, especially within the Medicare Part D program, more oversight over PBMs. Plus, you know setting up fair contract negotiations for pharmacies so that they aren't hit with these draconian cuts as of January 1st so it is happening the idea behind this particular new rule the intention was good but a lot of times when we're dealing with new laws and new rules there are unintended consequences this was an unintended consequence
1: what specifically was the unintended consequence
0: the unintended consequence Was unfortunately that these PBMs were going to come back. And in order to recoup the money that they're going to lose, they're lowering the reimbursement rate on the pharmacy and in one particular contract by 10% so that they don't incur any losses. Now, a lot of people saw this from a mile away. They knew that the PBMs were going to do this. But unfortunately, when we're dealing with government, they don't always see things happening until we reach the due date. And now we've reached almost January 1st. The crap has hit the fan or is about to hit the fan and government is now acting because what's gonna happen is, and this is why they're acting with such urgency right now. If this isn't changed, you're gonna have a lot of pharmacies drop out of the Medicare Part D program because they're just not gonna be able to afford to stay in the program with these types of reimbursement rates. That's going to hurt Medicare Part D beneficiaries, where the vast majority are senior citizens. They are used to going to a pharmacy, the same pharmacy that they've been going to for the last 20, 30 years, where the pharmacist knows their conditions and handles their illnesses with expert care. Those senior citizens are going to be thrown for a loop because some of them are going to be coming back, going to their pharmacy, and they're going to find out that that pharmacy can no longer fill their prescription. And they're going to be sent somewhere else where the new pharmacy does not know their disease states, does not know them specifically and what they've been through over the last 10, 15 years in terms of whatever illnesses they have, and they're going to have to start all over. and That's just going to cause a huge, huge problem for all of these uh, senior beneficiaries of that program.
1: So when the article was talking about the potential challenges for seniors enrolling in Medicare plans, this is what it was referring to, right?
0: Exactly. It's also a concern. That the PBMs will utilize these fees instead of giving it back to the seniors at the point of sale. They will try to find another way to hide some of these fees and increase some other fees on pharmacies in order to recoup the monies that they've lost. So, for example, there's something that's called performance fees. They have a metric that they use to measure how well the pharmacy is performing. Is the pharmacy following up with the patient to make sure that that patient is taking their prescription drug. So what a lot of pharmacies will do is they will make attempts. They will call the patient and ask them, are you taking your medication? And if they're not taking their medication, the pharmacy will attempt to counsel the patient, tell them, well, this is why you need to take your medication on a regular basis. And let me tell you, That is not an easy thing to do. I don't know if you've ever spoken to anyone who's older in your family. And if you're trying to tell them what to do, that usually doesn't go well. Just imagine you're a pharmacist calling a senior citizen and trying to tell them, look, you better be taking your medication because if you're not taking your medication, this is what's going to happen to you. If for whatever reason, the senior citizen decides in the Medicare Part D program, not to take their medication. They get sick, they end up in the hospital, but the pharmacy makes a valid attempt to try to get them to do the right thing. They will charge them a performance fee. And the performance fee will be whatever the PVM decides. And they also charge these performance fees retroactively. They will come back to the pharmacy say, you didn't perform that well. This senior didn't take their medication the way they were supposed to. So now we're going to Reduce your payment. We're going to levy this performance fee on.
1: As someone who is outside of the pharmacy world a little bit, how does that work? How would you even know? Is that the text message I get? Hey, your refills should be all done. Would you like to refill now? And, you know, maybe I have like five pills left. And so, like, I haven't been taking it, you know, every day like I should have. Is that what they're talking about? The automatic refill stuff or?
0: That's part of it. There's automatic refills, there's text messages, there's emails, phone calls. Pharmacists are required to make, in some cases, phone calls to the patient. So it's all of the
1: above, Zach. Has that always been the case? Like, have have pharmacists always been expected to do that? Because maybe I just wasn't paying attention before, but I just don't remember that always being the case.
0: Well, pharmacists have always done this. This has been a service that they provided to patients, especially patients who take multiple medications, like three, five, 10 medications a day. So this is something they've always done. What the PBMs have done is they've taken this and created it into a profit-making scheme for themselves. So they said, you know what, we know pharmacists are doing this anyway, but we're going to start measuring their performance. If we feel, for whatever reason, that their performance isn't meeting the criteria, we're going to charge them a fee. And that's how we're going to make money off of this. And that adds costs to the Medicare Part D program. And That increases the cost of the prescription drug because all these fees that were levied into the program, all this money that they're siphoning back for themselves, all add to the costs in terms of the drug costs and, you know, obviously the pharmacy's bottom line.
1: So does the next law going through Congress address that at all, these performance fees, or is that another fight for another day?
0: No, it addresses a lot of those things. So it will address performance fees. It will address a fair payment for pharmacies, contract negotiations, of which there are no contract
1: negotiations
0: now, but it will address all of those things to try to create a fair reimbursement system for pharmacy, where they're not going into a PBM contract that has severe cuts, where they have an opportunity to actually really negotiate when they go in on these contracts, and some sort of fairness with these performance fees.
1: Wait, you said there are no contracts. I read in the article that there are contracts. In fact, that independent pharmacies are facing challenges when negotiating contracts with PBMs, especially considering the reported demands for cuts to payments for dispensing medications. So, are there negotiations or aren't there negotiations?
0: For independent pharmacies, because keep in mind, these are small business owners, there is zero negotiation with pharmacy benefit managers. Pharmacy benefit managers are some of the largest and most wealthiest companies in the entire world. And there's only really three of them. Small independent pharmacies have no capacity to negotiate them at all. What happens is the PBM will fax them and the pharmacy has two choices. They can either accept whatever they're given or they can leave it. For most pharmacies, it's not a choice at all. The term that's used for this is called contracts of adhesion a contract of adhesion is a contract that you really have no choice but to accept otherwise you're out of business so pbm comes to you says zach zach's pharmacy this is how much we're going to pay you take it or leave it and if you leave it you're going to leave a third to nearly half of your customers you're going to lose them and that means you're pretty much out of business So you have no option but to take it and just hope for the best.
1: But the article does say that 90% of independent pharmacies are taking the deal. So the 10%, what are the 10% doing then?
0: They're looking for new business models to make up the money that they've lost. So they've made a business decision. And it's a risky business decision, very risky. They just cannot afford to dispense medication within the Medicare Part D program, that they're going to take too much of a loss. And so they're just dropping out. But here's the problem. The problem is that a lot of these pharmacies are underserved areas where you have a lot of vulnerable populations. So we've heard of the term food deserts. A food desert is where you don't have a supermarket. And in that particular area, you have low-income people who, who live in that area, and they may not have the means to travel to the nearest supermarket because that could be 5, 10, 15 miles away, and they don't have any public transportation, they don't have a car, so they just can't get to that supermarket. So their area is called the food desert. The same thing is happening all around the country. We're starting to see pharmacy deserts pop up. Pharmacy desert you might have One pharmacy in the area closes down. Now, all of a sudden, patients who are going to that pharmacy, they can't travel to the nearest pharmacy because that pharmacy could be 5, 10, 15, 20 miles away. So what do they do? Their only option in some cases is to go mail order pharmacies owned by pharmacy benefit managers. It's another way for PBMs, to make huge profits by putting independent pharmacies in these underserved areas out of business, and then take that business for themselves. And usually in those particular cases, it's a monopoly because those patients, they don't have any option to shop around. So now they're forced into mail order, and now they're forced to pay whatever that mail order pharmacy is charging them.
1: Okay. So you mentioned the 10% that are not going to do it. What about the other 90%? The other 90% who are accepting the contract, what about them? How do you interpret that response that 90% of the pharmacists out there are taking the deal and taking these fees basically?
0: So the 90% that will take the deal, they just don't have any other option. They have to take it and they just have to hope for the best. And unless this fix that Congress is trying to do becomes reality, they're just going to cross their fingers and hope for the best. But I'm very hopeful that this congressional package is going to move through and that there is going to be a fix coming so that pharmacies aren't going to have to be hit as hard when January 1st comes. So The rule works like it's intended to work. That's going to lower the cost on prescription drugs for Part D beneficiaries because all those fees that are being collected, they're not going to be collected retroactively and then stolen by the PBMs. They're going to be applied at the point of sale and used to lower the drug costs for the Medicare Part D patient. At the same time, the rule is supposed to give pharmacies some sort of certainty about what they're getting paid. So now they're going to be hit with fees retroactively. They're going to get fees applied to them at the point of sale. Yes, those 2023 fees are still going to be collected retroactively. Nothing's going to fix that. So that's going to be six months worth of hurt. You're going to be paying six months worth of retroactive fees. But going forward, I really have a good feeling that Congress is going to pass this package and there's going to be some fair contracting practices that are going to be forced upon the PBMs where they're not going to be able to severely underpay pharmacies. They're still going to try to underpay pharmacies as best they can, but it's going to level the playing field for them. And I really think this is going to happen because the one interesting thing about this PBM package, I've been doing uh government affairs work 25 years. In this climate, you can't get Republicans and Democrats to agree on almost anything. But on this particular package, it's a real kumbaya moment. They're all in agreement on this, that PBMs have been ripping off patients, that they've been ripping off pharmacies, and they seem to be all in agreement that this package needs to move through. In fact, the Senate Finance Committee just passed it. So it's ready to be voted on on the Senate floor. And it seems like there's a unanimous consensus in Congress right now that they need more oversight on pharmacy benefit managers. So they need to keep a healthy network of pharmacies operating in the United States so that people who live in underserved areas don't lose access to the last pharmacy that's in their town.
1: So I'm an independent pharmacist. My name is Zach Stone. I've had this business for 10 years. What can I do? Like, what can I legitimately do to help my fortune over the next 12 months?
0: Two things that you need to do. One on the business end, we spoke about this a little bit. Contact your PSAO and ask them, how are they preparing? Because the pharmacies pay the PSAOs to manage their contract. So ask them, what are they doing to protect you during this transition? from retroactive fees to fees at the point of sale so that this transition can go a little bit smoother because you're their client. Not enough pharmacies actually ask their PSAOs these questions, but just remember the PSAO works for you. You are paying them for service. They manage your contract. So ask them, what are they doing to make sure that this transition goes through with the least amount of pain for you. A lot of pharmacists don't like talking to their PSCO, but I think in this particular instance, you have to have a conversation. On the political end, you need to contact your U.S. senators and your representatives, and you need to tell them to sign on as a co-sponsor onto this package, and you need to tell them that you really need them to vote in favor of this package. Now, a lot of times people will either email or some people still write letters or some people make phone calls and they don't follow up with their congressional office. I was a legislative staffer for about a good 14 years. The people who get results when they call their congressional office, their U.S. Senate office, their local state, Legislative office are the people who follow up. Call the office. Be very respectful. Be very nice. Tell them that you own a pharmacy within their representative's district or that you live in that representative's district. Tell them what will happen to you if this package doesn't pass. But also, don't just hope that your representative will do the right thing. Follow up with them, give them about a week or two and then call back get the name of the staffer that you spoke to let them know that you're going to be calling back and let them know that you're a voter in the district and that you really want a response to find out how that rep is going to vote on this package and when we put out this podcast we'll have the bill numbers for this package so when you contact your legislative office you can give them the bill numbers from this package
1: now Obviously, every state has two senators. In New Jersey, one of those senators may be in a bit more of a situation than the other senator. In both instances, are they more likely to side with the voting people, or are they more likely to side with the corporations that have a little bit more money? Because isn't that why we got into this situation in the first place?
0: Doesn't matter which one you call. Call all of them. Because right now... Even
1: even the one who's in yes, trouble for... Okay, okay.
0: Yes, even the one who's in trouble. Because the one who's in trouble is going to be in that office possibly for another year. And he's going to be voting on this bill package. So yeah, even the guy who's in trouble, you need to call him. And you need to tell him you're his constituent. And that you want him to do the right thing and vote on this bill package. Because... Listen, I understand what's going on. You know, we all may have read these news stories about, you know, one of the U.S. senators in New Jersey, but he ain't going anywhere in the near future. He's staying in there. He has not been found guilty of anything yet because the trial hasn't started. So he can stay in there. The the election is next November. Unless he's beaten next November, he's there for the foreseeable future. And they're going to be voting on this bill package this year, at worst, maybe after the new year. So yes. You have to contact all of them.
1: Got it. Okay. Well, that's something I can definitely do. I really appreciate that. Now, before we go, you know, I don't want to end this podcast between you and I with just talking business. So the holidays are right here. Are you ready? Have you shopped? Are you all done your shopping yet? Did you finish it all on Black Friday and Cyber Monday? Or or what's the deal? Where are you at?
0: I'm at nowhere because I'm Anthony. the guy. Yeah, I'm the guy who goes last minute, the day before Christmas, and I decide to buy everything for everybody. You know, I can't really explain it, Zach. It's almost like a holiday tradition
1: at this point. That has to be extremely frustrating for the people in your life. I'm, I'm mostly talking about your poor wife.
0: Well, well, you're right, Zach. You're absolutely right. Because my wife, you know, she does all the right things. She buys presents for me well in advance always thinking about everybody first before thinking of herself. And uh, I wish I could say that about myself, but unfortunately I can't. But you know what? Admitting to things is the first step in recovery.
1: Are you going to make a change? The second step would be to start addressing those changes.
0: Nah, I don't think so. I think I'm going to keep doing the <laughs> same thing. I've always done.
1: Okay, fine. But last question. Is it better to call your representative and your Congress people and your senators early and often? Or is it better to wait as close to the vote as possible to call? So should we be someone like a responsible human or someone like you?
0: The people that, from my experience, who got the most out of contacting their legislators, contacted them early and often. If you think one phone call is going to do it, it's not. You really want to get to know your local representative Get to know them by name. Let them remember who you are. When I used to be a legislative staffer, I used to know certain people, constituents, by name. We used to have some of the same folks who would call all the time. And let me tell you, we gave them proper service because we knew these are the folks who are going to go back into the community. And they're going to tell the other voters how we performed. So we always wanted to give them AAA service.
1: Got it. So don't be like Anthony this holiday season, and don't be like Anthony when it comes to contacting your Congress people and your senators. Early and often, send the message that they need to sign on to this bill. Yes?
0: That's all good advice, Zach.
1: Never be like Anthony. Yeah, yeah never that's be a, like Anthony. That's
0: good advice for, for just life in general. Never be like Anthony.
1: Well, Anthony, thank you for helping me understand this article a little bit. And and thank you for helping me understand what the community of independent pharmacies can do with this upcoming bill package and what we can expect in the next six months. So thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Zach. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the President and CEO, John Giampolo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone with music by Marcus Way. For previous and future episodes, check out iPAgroup.org. Thank you very much. Bye for now.